I love that sound of people meeting each other. It's like electric, electric. Thanks for being here. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. The next six weeks, we're going to fly through the book of Ephesians. And today, we're going to learn how to look at the book through a very specific lens that the Apostle Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, related to the will of God for our world and our lives. Have you ever wondered what the will of God was for your life? Have you ever wondered what the will of God was for your life? Is that just me? Like there's some specific seasons in life when we really wrestle with this question. Um, Maybe you remember being in college or maybe there now or in high school, trying to determine kind of the trajectory of your career, your major, your vocation, right? Your calling in this world. And you've asked the Lord, God, what is your will for my life in this season? Or maybe you're on the other side of the life spectrum, right? Not like nearing death, right? But transitioning out of the workforce, and you're trying to figure out what the will of God might be for your life on the other side of retirement. You've said, God, I I think I spent too much of my identity wrapped up around what I do, and now I need to figure out what your will is for me as a human in this world. And maybe you've had a tough decision to make lately with your, your family, your kids, something like that, and You've asked God, what, what is your will in all this? What do I, what do, I do? Uh, equip me for life on this planet. Now, there's moments in life when this question about God's will becomes real big. But then at the same time, especially in the season we've had these last few years, I, th- I think there's been this like aching, this longing, and many of us more and more and more, where we've had to come to the Lord and ask, God, why are we even here on this planet? You saved me. You called me to Jesus. Someday I'm going to be with you in heaven. That's amazing. But what do I do between now and then? Do you just, you want me to just go to church and be a good person? Is that it? Act like a Christian? Go to Bible study? Share my faith a little bit? Maybe you've been in a season where you feel like there's got to be more than this, right? What, What is the purpose of God on planet earth? for me and my family or my friends as we kind of stumble around in the dark here on this planet. I feel like every time I get in a conversation around the will of God with people in the church or even people outside the church, like the one thing that everyone kind of lands on is that the will of God is a mystery. It's a mystery. It's something that it feels like we just can't grab onto. You can't really know it. You can, you can guess at it. You can try to walk in it, but you never get a dogmatic answer as to what is truly the will of God for your life, for the world, and besides just some of the basics. You know, it's interesting, this, this passage we'll read today, the Apostle Paul actually uses that word. He says that the will of God is, is, is a mystery, this Greek word mysterion, that, that means something similar to our English word mystery, but it's a little bit different. Because I think when we talk about the will of God being a mystery, we, we're talking about how it's unknowable, But when the Apostle Paul talks about a mystery, he's talking about something that is a reality that is too wonderful to be fully grasped, right? You can write this down. This is just the intro, but you can write it down anyway, that the will of God is a mystery in the sense that it's something too magnificent to be fully grasped. You maybe heard the phrase about the gospel of Jesus or the book of John that says it's it's something that's shallow enough that a child can wade in, but it's a pool that's also deep enough that an elephant can swim in. Have you ever heard that? And this is the idea that the gospel is something that anyone can understand, but if you could also devote your life to going deep into what it truly signifies. And I think this is a good way to describe this biblical word, mystery. That the will of God is not a mystery in the sense that it's unknowable, 
But the will of God is a mystery in the sense that you can step into it and wrap your mind around it and then devote the rest of your life diving into the depths of what it truly means for your life on this planet and beyond. And so if you've ever wondered, well, what's the will of God? We're going to tell you. It's right here in Ephesians chapter 1. And I'm just going to warn you ahead of time. I'm going to read a verse, and it's not going to make any sense to you, right? (laughs) Then I'm going to try to spend the next 30 minutes or so making it make sense to you. And my only hope is that you can turn some sort of corner in your mind so that by the time you leave this room today or turn off your screen today, if you're watching online, you'll, you'll... understand this concept enough to start diving more deeply into it and step into this concept of mystery as the biblical authors define it. And so we're not going to waste any time. I'm going to jump right in, give you a glimpse of where we're going. Ephesians 1, 8 through 10, we're going to look at this verse, kind of halfway through the verse. uh, It starts with the word with. We'll put it on the screen. Paul says, with all wisdom and understanding, he, God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. I didn't hear a lot of amens because I told you you'd be confused, right? One thing we need to know about the book of Ephesians is that Paul writes in really long sentences in the book of Ephesians, right? And so sometimes you got to like step aside a few of the clauses to figure out what's the core of what he's saying here. So what's, here's the core of what Paul is saying. I'll read it again, take out a few things, um, verses eight through 10. Paul says this, the mystery of his will is this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. I'm gonna say this again, I want you to say it with me. The mystery of God's will is this, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. One more time. To bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. I'm not just trying to wake you up. I want you to memorize Ephesians 1.10. This is the hub, the core of the entire book, that the mystery of God's will is to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Today we're going to devote our time to understanding what this means, because you just said it three times and you still don't know what it means. The mystery of his will, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth, under Christ. I want to kind of set up the scene of how Ephesians works by giving you an analogy, and you don't have to do this. This is just an analogy, but imagine that you had a dream to buy a house for your mother, right? If you're a mom, say amen. Amen, right? (laughs) You know where it came from, but maybe it was a TV show or something you heard uh, from someone who was being interviewed, but you got this seed planted in your mind when you were a little kid or an elementary kid or whatever it was. Man, someday, I love my mom. She's amazing. She pours out for me. She takes nothing for herself, right? If you haven't gotten this inkling yet, you should know this about your mom. She pours out for you. She takes nothing for herself. Man, someday, I want to I pay her back. I want to buy her a house, and I want to give it to her. I want to surprise her with it. So you've got this, this seed that's like germinating in you as you grow up. As you choose a career, you choose a career where you're going to make tons of money so that you can buy your mom a house, right? As you start making money, you start putting money aside so you can buy your mom a house. As you start living life in this world, talking to your mom, you're listening to the type of house she might want someday. You're listening to where she might live someday. You're kind of imagining her dream scenario so that when the time fully comes, when you've got the resources and the plans in order, you hire an architect, you buy a plot of land, you find a contractor, a builder, 
and you start to break ground on this new home that you've saved up all this cash to put down for your mom. It's a great, it's a great vision, especially if you're one of my kids. It's a great vision. <laughs> and then the day comes where you're like, okay, it's, it's time to reveal the mystery of my will to my mother, right? And so you take her out to breakfast, and you you do it all, right? You got her a book and a card and a note. And you're crying. She's like, what is this all about? You're like, I want to show you something, right? And so you drive her around the corner and this is this blot, plot of land and there's this concrete being poured. These trucks are spinning and, and you're like, check this out. And you roll out this like architectural design of a house and you're like, mom, I'm building this for you. Right? And we all have different types, types of mothers, uh, you might have a mom who would get really mad in that moment. Like, why are you, that's so expensive, right? Like, no, mom, it's for you, it's for you, right? You might have a mom who faints, and then you wake her up, she faints again, right? You have the mom who's like, ah, right? You might have the mom who punches you, like, ah, what are you doing? It's like, ah, right? A lot of different reactions to that moment, but I'm assuming, unless your mom is unhealthy in some way, right, that she is going to be ecstatic about this moment, and she's going to not be able to stop thinking about it. Right? She's going to pick up her phone and she's going to call all her friends. You like, won't believe what my son did, right? Or she'll act like she's mad. You won't believe what my son did now. He bought me a house. Ah, right? You're going to tell everybody. You're going to go to bed dreaming about it. You're going to ask for the architectural plans. You're going to email them out to everyone that you know, right? You're going to be so consumed that this gift that you were just given is such an amazing gift that you can't stop thinking and talking about it. And the reason I give you this whole big analogy is I feel like this story is the proper way to view what's happening in Ephesians chapter one. Because, there, I'll tell you why. Paul starts walking through just a ton of amazing things. And, and it all leads up to this moment where God reveals the mystery of his will to unite all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. He starts by saying, hey, before the foundation of the world, God had this idea. It was this amazing plan, and he linked everything in human history to lead up to this plan. He sent forth his son. He raised him from the dead. He glorified him, and it all culminated in this moment when he would unite all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Someday it'll be fully formed, but for now, here it is. The Spirit has come, and this plan is starting, and it's amazing. And we're supposed to read Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10, and be like, but we don't, right? and we don't for a couple of reasons. Right? We don't because we don't know what it means, and we don't, I don't, if you've ever done a Bible study in Ephesians, we don't because sometimes we get hung up on the planning stuff, and we never get to the punchline of the story. Right? If you've ever done a, a study on Ephesians 1, chances are your whole small group spent, was spent talking about predestination. Have you ever been in a small group talking about predestination? And it's this theological concept that before you were even formed, God knew that he was going to save you and he ushered everything into that purpose and all these questions start emerging. And it's almost like you give your mom this house and she's like, wait, hold on. You're saying when you were an elementary kid, you had this idea. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I don't believe it. I don't think it's an elementary kid. It's like, like, mom, let's look at the house. It's here, right? But she's getting caught up in this thing that happened years ago instead of dwelling on the punchline that is that in this moment, the whole plan is revealed. What's supposed to happen is that we understand Ephesians 1.10 and then everything else makes sense in light of this verse. And so, hey, I'd love to talk to you about predestination. That's fine. I went to Bible school. We talked about it for a long time. 
But I want more to talk to you about the mystery of the will of God, which sets the table for the entire book of Ephesians. And we're going to devote the next five weeks after this one, talking through how this will of God flushes into every aspect of our existence in this earth. And so today we're going to talk about the punchline of the story, the mystery of God's will to unite all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. So if you want to write something down to kind of start getting your bearings on this, you can write this down. Unlocking the mystery of God's will starts with the understanding that heaven and earth are brought together in Jesus Christ. Unlocking the mystery of God's will starts with the understanding that heaven and earth are brought together in Christ Jesus. Heaven and earth are brought together in Christ Jesus. So let's define our terms. What is great news. This is going to be an easy one. This is the softball. You're here. You're on planet earth, right? Everybody go like this. That's the earth beneath your feet. Nobody did it. Do that. All right. That's the earth beneath your feet. I can't hear you at home. Just kidding. That's the earth beneath your feet. You're on the earth. The earth is everything you can see. The earth is the place where we live right now. The earth is this broken thing that has been broken by the fall in Genesis chapter three. The earth is the kingdom of the world that we live in right now. It's the place where we live and move and dwell. This is the easiest part of the verse to understand. You live here on planet Earth. If a Martian comes, you tell them, I'm an Earthling because I'm from here, Earth. Got that one? So what is heaven, right? Heaven is everything that is not here, right? Heaven is the place in the sky. It's the invisible reality. It's also the place where angels live. This is the the heavenly places is where the angels have their abode. Heaven is the place where Jesus is from in the New Testament, right? Remember that song? He came from heaven to earth. You ever heard that song? All right, I'll be honest, go right? He came from heaven to earth. Jesus put on flesh and dwelt among us. He left the heavenly places, came to our place, did ministry among us, died on earth, buried in the earth, came out of the earth, resurrected to new life, ascended back into where? Heaven. And in heaven, where Jesus lives, he is preparing a place for us who currently live on earth. And someday he will come back from to and get us earthlings and bring us to be back in heaven with him again. You got it. Heaven and earth, heaven and earth, heaven and earth. Earth is our current home. Heaven is our future home. And I think we understand, I think we think we understand what this means right now because we just made a very like, dualistic view of heaven, heaven and earth. But when we read this verse in, in Ephesians 1.10, what, what God is trying to draw out is it's actually not as black and white as it seems. Because he, he isn't just talking about there's a difference between heaven and earth. Remember he says unlocking the mystery of God's will comes with understanding that heaven and earth are brought together in Jesus Christ, united under Jesus Christ. If you're looking at Ephesians 1.10, you can see it, uh, it says to bring unity, unity, unity. This is a word that shows up twice in the New Testament, unifying heaven and earth. And sometimes when, it, when you see a, a word in the scriptures that, that doesn't really make sense, it's not used a lot, you're going to have to use other terms to define it, 
Right? You can look at the root of the word. It's kind of connected to bringing order, to bringing things together, to putting things under one common head. Then the other time that this word is used is in one of the epistles when the Apostle Paul is talking about the different, different ones of the Ten Commandments. He says, you know, do not murder, do not commit adultery, all these different commandments. He says all of these commandments can be summed up in one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself, right? They're unified in this one commandment. All of these things are brought together, put under one head, and made complete if you understand this one commandment. They're summed up. So this concept of heaven and earth being unified in Christ Jesus is a concept that means that heaven and earth that used to be super separate, and even in our own minds, right? You're picturing someday you're going to die, and this being's going to float up out of you playing a harp like in a cartoon and go to the heavenly places, right? That's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying that the mystery of the will of God is that somehow under Christ Jesus, heaven and earth are united together as one. So you wrote down the first thing. Maybe it kind of makes sense now. Here's a new thing to kind of wrap your mind around. Here's God's will. God's will is to form heaven and earth into one holy and integrated reality. God's will is to form heaven and earth into one holy and integrated reality. Why holy? Holy because currently the kingdom of this world is broken. Right? Holy because, in a sense, a, a brokenness between heaven and earth is a brokenness that needs to be unified. But, but holy in a sense that right now the world that we live in, I don't know if you know this, but it's not the way that it's supposed to be. Right? There's sin in this world. There's pain in this world. There's brokenness in this world. There's hardship in this world. There's lack of justice in this world. And there's this biblical concept called shalom, which is bringing real peace, weaving back together the fabric of our earth once again, and even weaving together heaven and earth into one holy and integrated reality. So holy in the sense that it's made right and unified in the sense that it's made into one. The fabric of heaven and earth are woven back together. This is where it's going to start to get confusing, so track with me. I had a seminary professor who was trying to push these buttons with us about our too differentiated view between earth and heaven. And he said, I want to talk about what it really meant when Jesus left heaven, came to earth, and went back to heaven again, right? He says, when did Jesus go back to heaven? Who knows, when did Jesus go back to heaven? What's it called? The ascension. I was waiting for Justin to say it. The ascension is what it's called, when Jesus goes back to heaven. He ascended into heaven. So the teacher says, hey, how did that work mechanically? Right? We're like, well, the disciples were standing there, he ascended, and then a cloud hid them from him. Okay, okay. Did he go fast like a rocket ship? It's like, this seems sacrilegious. It's like, no, it happened, right? So how did it happen? Did he go slow, like, oh, right? How did it happen? Like, I don't know. He's like, okay, well, let me ask you another question. He's like, it says he went up and then a cloud hid them from their sight. If you were in the cloud, would you see Jesus? He's like, what if, like, what if you were on the space station? Right? And, and you're going around orbiting Earth, and it's the day that Jesus ascended into heaven. I know the timeline doesn't work out, right? But you're on the space station. It's like, would Jesus just like jet by? Like he leaves Earth, he goes up into the heavens, he goes through the clouds, like, and then shoots up through the atmosphere, and then zoom. Again, we're like, this seems inappropriate. He's like, it's like it ha- something happened. What happened? Did Jesus go past Mars? Where is heaven? Where was he going? Did he land somewhere, right? What happened when Jesus ascended into heaven? He said, I I think there's a chance that your view of heaven is wrong because you're trying to Google Maps Jesus' way of how he got there, and it probably didn't work 
that way. Because in Jesus, the kingdom of God became one holy and integrated reality. There was a theologian named N.T. Wright, and we're going to use a lot of, of his teachings on Ephesians to kind of help us understand this pathway through Ephesians. And, and he has this great view uh, of how the kingdom of earth and kingdom of heaven kind of works. Because when Jesus came on earth, he came to earth, right? John the Baptist said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Like, it's here. Like, Jesus stepped onto the earth, and in a sense, the kingdom had arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. So the kingdom of heaven was something that could exist in this place and not just be something that existed somewhere else. So N.T. Wright says, let me give you an alternate view of kind of the distinction between the kingdom of earth and the kingdom of heaven. He said, I want you to imagine that you're, this is going to be hard if you're under 30, but bear with me. I want you to imagine that you're listening to your FM radio in your car, right? Do you guys all know what that means? Do they still have that in cars? Like, can you do that today as an experiment? All right, good, okay. Imagine that you turn on your car, FM tuner, you find a station, right? You find, I don't even know a station. You find, is KOIT still around, right? You find KOIT. You're like, I want some light rock, some less talk. You're what am I looking for, right? KOIT. Put it on your stereo, you start listening. You're like, this is great. I love this sweet stuff from the 80s, whatever it is. And you're driving in your car, listening to your FM radio, and you're driving north, right? You go out of the bay, you hit Sacramento, or you're driving up towards like Eugene or Portland or Seattle or Vancouver. You're just going up five. And as you're driving, something's going to happen. And if you've never done this before, you can do it on your next road trip, right? You're going to notice that, that all of a sudden, somewhere outside of the bay, the station that you're listening to is going to start getting like taken over by another station, right? Maybe your country station is going to be like superimposed with a better station, right? Maybe like your classic rock is going to be more like oldies or whatever, right? As you're driving, all of a sudden, this new station is going to come in and eventually absorb the old station and you enter into like a new reality. Now you're like in the Portland Metroplex or something and this new reality has happened. You've passed from one dimension into another. You know, Wright says, the kingdom of heaven coming to earth is more like that than my space station analogy, because the kingdom of heaven is something that is here while we're here, right? Like I said, the kingdom of heaven is where the angels live, right? The angels don't live on Mars. The angels are here, right? I don't want to creep you out or anything. I know Halloween's coming, right? But Angels are here. Demons are here. The spiritual entities are here in this place with us at the same time. We just can't see them. The kingdom of heaven exists among the kingdom of earth, but it's these two distinct realities happening in the same room at the same time, right? It's, it's like a multiverse theory or something, right? It's right here among us. And so this concept of Paul starting to geek out about the will of God in Christ Jesus, he says, under the lordship and rulership of Jesus Christ, here's the, the will of God is to unite, to integrate, to bring together heaven and earth under Jesus Christ. Which means that the thing that God is trying to get us to spend our life exploring is what it means that Jesus has not merely prepared a place for you to go somewhere later, but Jesus is starting to bring forth a new birth. This is the analogy that's used like in John 3 and other places. This new birth that something new is being created from here that's going to ripple out into everything until later. Right? So think about Jesus himself. And Jesus 
came from heaven to earth to show us the way, right? He died on the cross, he was buried in the grave, and then he resurrected. But he didn't resurrect as this like floating like spirit body, right? He even talked about that. They're like, it's a ghost. He's like, I'm not a ghost. Touch me. I, I'm, I'm on earth, but I'm also in heaven, right? He was this integrated reality. But in a sense, we weren't there yet because he still had to transform back into heaven in the ascension and step into that reality again, right? So now you're like, I'm confused. Okay. Don't think about the space station ascension analogy. Think about this one. Jesus, what did he do after he ascended? Who knows what Jesus did after he ascended to the heavenly throne? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God and began to rule from that place. So when Jesus ascended into heaven, he was literally ascending to his throne. That's a term that we use when a king ascends to the throne of power. So I would imagine that when Jesus left that hillside in uh, outside of Jerusalem on the day of ascension, that he didn't like shoot off like an Elon Musk rocket, but that instead he merely started walking up an invisible staircase in a sense. Maybe he just, I don't know, but like started walking up an invisible staircase until he moved from the dimension of earth into the dimension of heaven. And so if that, say it was right there, he's right there, we just can't see him because now he's into the kingdom of heaven. And from that heavenly throne, if you read through the book of Acts, you can see this. I'm not go too much into this. But Jesus starts to affect the things of earth from his throne in heaven, right here. Right? You see Jesus opening jail cells from heaven. You see Jesus giving words to people from heaven. You see Jesus moving spiritual entities and physical entities and waves and, and snakes and apostles and boats from the heavenly places. He starts weaving his kingdom on earth together with the kingdom on heaven and something begins to happen from his heavenly throne. As he rules with power, he is integrating together the heavenly and earthly realities and forming a new holy and integrated reality where heaven and earth are summed up and united under Christ Jesus. You know, we know that we're not there yet. Right? Obviously, you live here. The world is not wholly and integrated yet. And even if you keep reading in this verse, it says in verse 10, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. That's not now. That's not yet. Right? There's a later aspect to when the kingdom will be fully holy and integrated. And I think this is where a lot of us might get kind of stuck, even if we start to wrap our minds around this concept, is that if, if in the person of Jesus Christ and in the rulership of Jesus Christ from his throne, God is uniting all things in heaven and earth later, what do we do now? <laughs> do we just join Bible studies and geek out not just on predestination, but also on the mystery of God's will and just talk about it till it comes? And do we just wait? You know, I remember a song back in the 90s that talked about this earth just being a waiting room and we're waiting for God's love to show up. It's like Jesus is preparing a place for us and we're just like sitting in the Jiffy Lube like uh, waiting room, drinking our curry coffee and reading the old like Good Housekeeping magazine thinking like, why don't they have better magazines and when is my car gonna be done, right? And every once in a while they come and say, the technician's still working on preparing your car for you. Just keep waiting. But hey, you can read about car and driver while you're here, right? What, what are we supposed to do while we wait for Christ to bring all things to fulfillment and unite heaven and earth into one integrated and holy reality. Paul actually starts getting real excited about what to do here as he keeps talking. He starts to introduce another character. 
in verse 13, right? He's talking about, you've been predestined according to God's plan so that we might hope in the righteousness and in his glory. You were included in Christ when you heard the message of his truth. And then he says this, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. He says, you're not just sitting around waiting. He says, the moment you believed, the Spirit of God entered into you, and the Spirit of God began to transform you, and the Spirit's presence became a deposit that is going to dwell in you until you get the full inheritance of the kingdom of God. And don't get Paul wrong here, right? The deposit is not like a ticket. Like you're going to go pick up your kids from kids ministry and you got like a little ticket in your back pocket with your kid's number on it, right? It's like, hey, you got the spirit just so that when you get to heaven, you'd be like, can I come in, right? That's not the deposit. That's not what it means. It's not a deposit in the sense that like, oh yeah, you can have a Tesla, just put down a $500 deposit, right? And you can get it back if you don't want it later. Whatever. Uh, That's not what deposit means. Deposit is like a smaller version of the real thing, right? Like an oil deposit or something, right? It's a small pocket of something that will someday be like gushing forth. And so if you have the spirit within you, he's not just your ticket to heaven. He's not just this little like demo version of heaven. He's the real thing abiding in you and starting to make you into this outpost where heaven meets earth in you and in us that can flesh out and take over the entire world even now. Right, the reason I'm excited about that is because Paul gets excited about this. He's like, because of this, this is verse 15, I've been praying for you guys that you might grow in your knowledge of these things. I keep asking God to give you more of a spirit of revelation and understanding so that you can wrap your mind around this and understand the power that you have access to as a believer in Jesus Christ indwelt by the Spirit of God. He says in verse 19, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And he starts talking about us as the church, and we'll talk about this these next few weeks. He just gets so excited saying, don't you know, picture the plan of all things integrated, heaven and earth, this holy, beautiful reality, this kingdom that will never end under the rulership of Christ. It's going to be amazing. And the power that will form that kingdom currently lives in you. And as Christians start to become converted into the faith and they receive the spirit, all of a sudden, boom, heaven meets earth in you. And as you grow into your faith, you start looking more like Jesus in this world. And as you form into a church, we all together start displaying the manifold glory of God. And we grow each other in this church. And the diversity of the church shows that the beauty and the power of God is real in us. And we mobilize into the world and we start bringing transformation wherever we go. And the armor of God protects us as we walk into the spiritual battle. Everything changes as we walk in the spirit of God to bring heaven and earth together under Christ. Christ in our lives, in our church, in our community, throughout our world. This is the purpose, the plan, the will of God, according to Paul in Ephesians 1.10. And if you want to skip the rest of the series, I actually just walked you through the rest of the series in that little speech I just gave you right there. Because under Christ, heaven and earth are united. And in this concept is the purpose of God for your life. If you're like, Danny, just tell me what the purpose of God is for my life, I'll tell you. Here's the purpose of God for our lives as a community. We'll put it on the screen. To experience the Holy Spirit sweep us up 
into God's plan to bring order into every aspect of the universe and existence. This is a statement that hopefully, after we've explained all this, is shallow enough that you can splash around in it, even right now, but deep enough that you can spend your entire life exploring it. The purpose and will of God for you, for us, for our world is this, to experience the Holy Spirit sweep us up in every aspect, into God's plan, to bring order to the universe and our existence. Heaven meeting earth under Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's an amazing quote uh, by that theologian N.T. Wright that I mentioned earlier. He said this. He said, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. Now, if you're geeking out on Elon Musk terraforming Mars, great. But I'd rather be caught up in the project of Jesus Christ terraforming earth, right, with the kingdom of heaven. Turning the earth, turning your life, turning your household, turning your community, turning your family, turning your unit, whatever it is, into an outpost where heaven meets earth under Christ that can change everything. It's a glimpse of heaven. It's a reality exciting enough for Paul to spend the next six weeks just going after it. So this week's Ephesians 1.10. Next week, we'll look at Ephesians 2.10 that you, heaven meets earth in you, you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for the good works that God prepared in advance that you might walk in them. Right? You have all those realities of Ephesians 1, predestination and calling and justification, but with that purpose that when you met Christ, the Spirit entered and heaven meets earth in you. Right? Ephesians 3.10 is the week after that, that in the church of Jesus Christ, the manifold witness of the glory of God is revealed. That when people from every tongue and tribe and nation unify in one place, there's something different about a community like that that points to the glory of God in all of his diversity and unity in the Trinity. It's a beautiful reality. Right, Ephesians 4, the whole body causes the growth of the body as we build each other up in love. Right, Ephesians 5, we're being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Ephesians 6, we walk forward and put on the armor of God and take a stand right against the devil's schemes and nothing can stop us. And the world is transformed as a people who look like Jesus. Filled with individual men and women and kids who look like Jesus. Fill the globe with the presence of Christ to the glory of God, bringing heaven and earth you together into a holy and unified existence. And we're going to spend the next six weeks going after that concept. And so for now, I want you to memorize Ephesians 1.10. And I want you to start splashing around in it. I want you to go on a walk, and I want you to wrestle with what it means that heaven meets earth in you and in us and in your neighborhood because of you and us. I want you to start to grapple with the fact that the Spirit lives in you, and he's not just someone who helps you sin less or say the right things, right? But he's someone who is creating a heavenly reality in your earthly body. He is a powerful person who wants to transform you and us, your very identity at your core, into God's plan for your life in our world. Start to wade in these realities. Start to wrestle in these realities. Start to uh, resonate and meditate on these verses, And see if you could start to wrap your mind around the fact that God's plan for your life really is more than just what you do for money, what you do as a calling, whether you're a pastor or a shoemaker or whatever you do, right? But God's plan for your life is to make you an outpost for the Spirit, to sweep you up like a mighty wave into his greater plan to transform the entire universe 
for his glory into the kingdom of God where heaven and earth unite. And one of the things that we're going to do in every week of this series is we're going to receive communion together. And for a couple of reasons. One, because we should take communion regularly to remind ourselves of the mystery and glory of the gospel and the power and beauty of Jesus Christ. But also because today as you hold that cup and you hold that bread, what you are holding in your hands is the best symbol on this planet of what it means that heaven and earth are united under Jesus Christ. Right? Jesus gives us two very earthly images. Bread that people ate at every meal. Wine that was this celebratory aspect of life that people would drink regularly. These very tangible earthly things. And he infuses them with heavenly meaning and substance. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever eats me will live and not die forever, right? This bread is not just earthly bread. It's this heavenly bread that gives life to all who eat it because the bread is his body given for us on the tree. Right, this cup is not merely juice. It does not merely represent wine. It is not merely wine when you drink wine. What this cup is, is a symbol and a powerful substance that as we ingest it, we are reminded that we are members of the new covenant by the blood of Jesus Christ. That his spirit flows through our veins. This intoxicating spirit of God that changes us from the inside out, transforms us into a community and transforms us on his mission as we celebrate the reality of the celebratory nature of the kingdom and mourn the fact that the way that we had to get there was he shed his own blood on our behalf. All of these realities are summed up. They're unified. They're brought together. They're integrated in the communion meal. If you haven't gotten elements yet, you can sneak out during this next song and grab them and, and bring them back in. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if, if the spirit of God has come into your life and transformed you from the inside out, if God has forgiven your sins, he's given you new life, Communion is for you. It's, it's a moment for you to remember and celebrate the death of Christ and wrestle and marinate in the gravity of what he has done for our, on our behalf and what he is doing in this world that this is pointing us towards. And so the band's gonna come out after I pray. We're, we're gonna play a song over you. I feel like a lot of times in, in church, like I talk, then you sing. Then I talk, then you sing, right? Then I make you talk to each other. There's never really a time that nobody talks. And so I guess our band will be talking. But you guys just relax, reflect. Hold these elements in your hands. Reflect on what Christ has done for you. And when you're ready, don't wait for me. Don't wait for your neighbor. Just eat this bread and remember Christ's body that was given for you on the cross. Drink this cup and remember the blood of the new covenant poured out on the cross. Remember the resurrection of Jesus, the power of the gospel story. And then after communion, you can join us and we'll be swept up into song together. But let me pray for us and then I'll free you up to receive communion while we sing over you and then join us in song when you're ready. Let me pray.